Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's Friday and you're watching The Hash or you're listening to it on the podcast. Shout out to our listeners as well. Thanks for being here, however you're doing it. I'm Zach Seward. We've got Jensen Assey and David Morris today. We are in the three box and we are going to get things going Woo-hoo. with Dave. Take it away. What is the latest on Luna? The latest on Luna is that apparently the Luna 2.0 resurrection, I guess. They're just going to start all over, and it's going to apparently happen tomorrow. For people who might not be read in entirely on this story, if you have been living under a rock, the Terra USD stablecoin collapsed to zero about two weeks ago. And this is Terraform Labs, Doquan, and Luna Foundation cards attempt to, I don't know what, but something resembling a recovery from that uh, total. Jen, I saw your hand. I just have a question before we get into all of this. I think this ecosystem has lost a ton of trust. And I'm curious, David, have we ever seen a successful resurrection? Has this been done before? Have we seen something be completely wrecked? Tons of people lose their life savings and they've been able to successfully come back from the dead. I mean, that's a really good question. I can't think of any. Zach, is that something you can... Think of an I guess example like, of? I don't know. Is Ethereum and Ethereum Classic an applicable example from the annals of crypto history, right? Following the mm, DAO hack? I think so. <laughs> no? So but I guess that would be something to consider as sort of a, a template for what this may look like. And indeed, Ethereum Classic kind of uh, did not capture the attention that Ethereum did later on. But it's a bit different. I would say it's a bit different. Whether or I mean, not it's a, it's a bit different. It's like if the DAO was the entire oh. network. <laughs> um, yep. The other question that's important to ask here is not so much has this been done before, but is there a reason it'll work this time? And there's a lot of reason to be skeptical because the major change that is taking place for this new version is they're getting rid of the UST stablecoin, whose mechanism was what broke the original chain. However, the stablecoin was also the primary reason the chain existed. So now you're launching this thing that just has all of the dApps and some of the functionality, but not core functionality 
of the original version. So there's reason to question whether this is going to really take off. And then based on that, you have to wonder a little bit whether people are going to use this as a way to rip off retail traders, because there might be people who certainly buy into this new narrative. There's a lot of people who want to place their faith in Toquan and, and who even short of that just want to get their money back. So they're going to hope that this works and maybe they'll even put new US dollars or hard currency into the system. And that will be an opportunity for potentially, at least in the eyes of some skeptics, for insiders to sell. It'll be interesting to see what happens here, but I am not optimistic. Yeah, it's said in the story that so holders of Luna and UST can now receive new Luna tokens, but there's a pretty aggressive vesting schedule here. I think it's a four year vesting period. So people who are still holding this token can get new Luna tokens, but you kind of have to wait to see that value for four years. And I, I worry about people uh, who put their life it. savings in, into this thing, right? Maybe they don't understand how vesting works. And now they're going to now put their faith and trust to try and recoup some of that money back into this new system. And so I read the story and I felt worried. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a wild one. I don't know if it's going to work, but you know there are a number of dApps and projects that exist on Terra that again have nothing to do with UST. You know, it has like all the green shoots of an emerging blockchain, right? You know, there's an NFT marketplace, there's a staking protocol, there's blah 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 blah. Some of those are going to be supported at launch on the new chain, and whether or not they can come back and rebuild a vibrant community after sort of the just the scorched earth that happened a couple weeks ago on the original Terra. If they can come back and build a vibrant community that isn't predicated on the Ponzi-nomics of UST and Anchor and all that stuff, that's going to be a really big story. So I think it's going to be worth watching. If it's going to work, I don't know. Especially in this market, it's quite difficult, right? It's going to be quite difficult to capture yeah. that excitement and that energy so that builders come here and do it here instead of all these other blockchains. We had this great piece by Tracy Wong yesterday. She's looking at these other networks that are saying, hey, Terra developers, we have some money. Come build over here. Forget that stuff. Forget mm -hmm. Terra 2.0. We want you to build on Polygon. We want you to build on Cadena. We want you to build here, here, here. And that, I think, is going to be probably more important than this airdrop, than this launch. Certainly, everybody in the crypto space loves an airdrop. Free money stories, they play well on the website. We see it in our traffic metrics. But whether or not people are going to sustain that momentum and that energy and that attention, build a vibrant set of services on this new restarted network, that's the open question. It's going, to see, it's going to be a long time to see if it all plays out. But I'll throw it to David. This is an opportunity to reflect on the fact that community, in the sense that can actually build something to have value, is kind of inversely related to the expectation of profit among holders. I think it's probably fair to say that most people who had a stake in Luna were primarily interested in the 20% returns on Anchor or the rising value of the Luna token. I mean, I have been looking at this stuff. There's just not a lot of like real novelty in terms of the actual applications that are being developed. And I just don't think that community element is going to be there now that, among other things, there's not going to be any more capital flowing in, or at least not very much relative to how it was before, right? Like we had Jump and other people backing this thing to the tune of billions of dollars. And that's probably not going to happen anymore. And so a lot of that uh, price-driven, quote-unquote, community is just going to be gone, and they weren't really there to build in the first place. So as we enter a bear market, this is a really good example of how you build for a long term, both technologically and in terms of a community, because 
you want people to stick around when there's no profit, basically. Going to be one to watch. Let's see if it can get back to its roots. Remember the Chai Payments wallet way back when? Anyway. All right. We're changing gears. We're going to go to Tether. We're going to talk about stablecoins uh, here, not algorithmic ones, but asset-backed stablecoins. Tether is expanding to its 11th chain. This time, Polygon. So with Tether, right, you have these USDT tokens, stablecoins with assets sitting in a bank somewhere. Each token is meant to represent $1. And they've been pretty aggressive in expanding to multiple networks, right? Started on Ethereum. They're on you know, 10 more now. The big ones as it relates to Tether, Tether usage are Ethereum and Tron. That's where you're seeing a ton of those Tether live and be, and be traded. The charts on those two networks are, are the highest. The other ones are a bit of a little flat line, kind of down low. But Polygon, formerly known as the Matic Network, has been gaining some momentum as a sort of faster, cheaper alternative to the Ethereum mainnet. And it's something that people are using with increasing regularity. So it's going to be interesting to see Tether continue its sort of multi-chain push. This is something that Circle is doing as well. They want to be native to all these different chains, right? They want a USDT on Tron. They want a USDC on like Solana. I think there's a Solana native USDC, right? So it's a multi-chain approach to get these asset-backed stablecoins uh, into the ecosystem as widely as possible. So this is a new, new milestone. 11 chains. Everybody's trying to get there as quickly as possible. And this is the latest one that was announced. So I'm going to toss it to David for his thoughts on, I guess, the stablecoin, the race for stablecoins to be everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess just a little bit of background for people to understand this. Having Tether native to each separate blockchain is important because it's essentially, I mean, in, in a certain sense, it's not really a cryptocurrency, right? Like, it is an indicator that you are owed a dollar's worth of value worth of Tether's assets. So that means it kind of doesn't matter what blockchain it lives on, like the technology backing it just doesn't matter. It was originally launched on Bitcoin, actually. They can do it wherever they want. And aside from regulation, it, it works on any chain as long as they just code. The only other thing I would say about Tether is just in the context of the UST thing, it obviously changes our perception of Tether, right? Like I'm one of the people who for many years has been skeptical of Tether because they haven't always provided really convincing evidence of their backing. And sometimes they have seen suspicious prints of, of the token. During this liquidation event, they performed very well. And we saw the clear difference between something that you can actually cash out and something that doesn't have any backing, but claims to be worth a dollar. So no exchangeability, no parity remains the truth. Uh, and Tether, as imperfect as it may be, uh, actually does have some exchangeability. But Jen, any thoughts about Polygon and Tether? Yes, yeah, stablecoins are really just having their day in the sun lately. I feel like we're talking about stablecoins every day. And we're talking about use cases that are different than the ones we've traditionally talked about, which is mainly for people who are trading crypto. And so when I think about Tether, I think about all of the drama we've spoken about over the years about Tether. You know, they've had so many legal issues with regulators. And they just keep trucking along. I mean, now they're on 11 chains. Yesterday, they announced that they are launching a stablecoin pegged to the Mexican peso to start to kind of address some of the remittance market in Latin America. And I think that's really interesting when we think about stablecoins as a solution for remittances. We've seen a lot of different cryptos try to tackle remittances in various different jurisdictions all around the world. And stablecoins is a real use case. That's been spoken about at Davos, the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. They've been speaking about stablecoins for remittances. So I just think that go stablecoins. And it's great to see that Tether has kind of weathered the storm and they keep trucking along. 
Yeah, there's 72 billion tethers out there in the world across all these chains. So it's becoming a bigger and bigger slice of the crypto pie. Really interesting to see, again, this sort of multi-chain approach. We've seen some flaws in sort of cross-chain dynamics. We all remember the wormhole hack and how much money was pilfered during that thing. Rather than making cross-chain connections between all these different assets, there does seem to be growing momentum around sort of having native multi-chain approach, whether that's a stable coin or whether that's, you know, decentralized apps themselves who are building on these different networks. So it's interesting to see kind of this multi-chain push continue from where I sit. But hey, let's change gears. I think we need a metaverse minute on this show. I think we need a metaverse minute. What a fun way to end a Friday's show with a little Vogue, a little metaverse minute. All right. So Condé Nast, the publisher of Vogue, GQ, Vanity Fair, and The New Yorker is building a Web3 team. They want to be at the forefront of culture. Their director of business innovation, Ciara Byrne, spoke at the Vogue Business and eBay Technology Forum, saying that she sees an opportunity in the metaverse by leveraging the company's history of storytelling. And so this story was really interesting to me because we have these traditional print publications who've really been able to garner an online audience in Web2. And they are really thinking about Web3 in an interesting way. I subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter, and there are some really thoughtful pieces about Web3, NFTs, Metaverse, and how it relates back to some of the high-end fashion brands and consumer fashion brands that are featured. So David, I'm going to pass this off to you. What do you think of Vogue being, I think, actually very innovative in the space? Obviously, there's a certain amount of caution that you have to bring to all of these things because we're still very early and the definition of Web3 and what the actual benefits might be are still being worked out. But the thing that I like about this is that Vogue is connected to culture. What we're going to see is that increasingly, you know, we already know that NFTs are often driven by, is this person famous? Are they a musician? Have they already created something? You have something like CryptoPunks or Bored Apes that really come out of crypto and they've caught on. But I think that over time, we're going to see proportionally much more success by projects that bring a known cultural quantity to the table. And so a partnership like makes a lot of sense, setting aside the sort of bigger question about Web3 and where the actual applications are going to be. Zach? Metaverse culture. Yeah, it's a big thing. And I think we've seen a lot of, you know, luxury brands sort of jump into this space trying to be on that cutting edge, right? We've seen Dolce & Gabbana do an NFT drop. We've seen different metaverse activations. So it kind of makes sense that Vogue is trying to get ahead of the curve here uh, as it relates to sort of being that primary outlet for digital fashion. Like go back two years ago and just saying digital fashion, you kind of roll your eyes and feel (laughs) odd. But I think digital fashion is playing out and maybe resistant to the broader crypto market trends that, you know, enter into this bull bear cycle, right? Like culture is culture. Culture will stick around. We'll find more ways to get people experimenting with these things, be that in Decentraland, be that in whatever their metaverse of choice is. And hey, maybe you want to deck out your avatar in fancy Gucci. That's something that Gucci and others are experimenting with, right? We saw Gucci, uh, you know, accepting uh, crypto payments in certain stores. So it's something that these brands, I think, are again, seeing as a way to engage the next generation of internet users. It's perspective right now. It's early right now. It may be a big dud, but then again, it may work out big for these brands who are trying to position themselves as, again, that trusted brand in these metaverse, in these metaverses. So I don't know. Back, I have to ask to you, see. Did you say it's uh, speculative right meow? Right meow. Is there Steve? Is Steve in here? Is Steve? Can what we get a baby? I mean, I was making a totally unrelated reference, deep cut for Super Troopers fans. 
I was uh, going to say, yeah, we got to get nine hours on the board. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> what a Friday show. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed that entirely. But just to throw out one thing, yeah. I did see, I think Nike sold $114,000 shoe NFT recently. So this idea that NFTs and culture and fashion are going to be counter-cyclical uh, is, is really interesting. So sorry, Jen, go ahead. Yeah, before I say what I wanted to say, that 100 and whatever thousand dollar shoe that Nike sold, I think is just another iteration of what we saw with NFTs last year in February, right? People are spending so much money on these NFTs. And it was really to just show that, you know, they were the first there. They had the money. They probably got into crypto really early on. So they had the money to spend on it. And I feel like this is just the next iteration of that as fashion NFTs become a thing. And these brands that we respect and we like to show and we like to flex in the real world go online, we'll see these massive sales happen. But I think that we'll see that taper off and we shouldn't expect NFTs to be 100, 200,000 million dollars if this does take off and become something that's mainstream. It should be something that's quite accessible. Zach, before I throw it to you, though, I wanted to point out that Vogue Singapore has led a number of NFT projects, including a Balmain flame dress. And it it's really interesting that Vogue is starting to position themselves as the publication that you go to when you want to experiment. You know, Vogue is behind the Met Gala. They have partnerships with all of the major brands. The major brands want to be on the Vogue cover. The top influencers and celebrities want to be on the Vogue cover. So this just makes total sense. And I love to see that they're so forward thinking for a publication that came from from print. They've really been able to move with the times and stay on top of what's happening culturally. Zach. We're ready, Vogue. You can put us on the cover anytime <laughs> you want. We're ready. <laughs> and touch. Steve. The three of us and in Steve. Touch our, times. In touch with our people over at Control and we'll, <laughs> we'll set something up. All right. Anyway. All right. That's it for today. We'll end on that note. Thanks for sticking with us uh, throughout this week in crypto. I'm Zach. That's Jen. Does not want to Behind Steve the cat is David Morris. We'll be back here next week. We'll see you actually on Tuesday. I think we're dark on Monday. So we'll see you on Tuesday. We hope you have a great long weekend if you're celebrating that. Yeah, that's all we got. We're going to wish you well. Go check out the podcast if you haven't. Go buy a ticket to Consensus if you haven't. There's so much going on. So yeah, much to discuss. That's it. Thanks for watching The Hash. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Happy long weekend. Take care, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 